place, Carl? Welcome to Lutheran Stuff No Drama, the No Drama Podcast. This is Pastor Hoffman from Christ Lutheran Church and School in Coos Bay, Oregon. And with me is Zach Lesher. Say hello, Zach. Hey, everybody. So here we are again. We uh, didn't uh, do our podcast yesterday because, uh, well, frankly, uh, they were having a party uh, for me, and it was my 10th anniversary of ordination, and there was just a bunch of things going on, and so I couldn't do it. And God be praised for that. Congratulations on your tenure, man. That's uh, awesome news. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we also, yesterday, and which I think is more cool than my tenure, was uh, we, I did three baptisms. That was awesome. Um, that is awesome. A mom and her two kids. So it was a. It's nothing better than honoring the office of holy ministry than in word and sacrament. <laughs> Amen. So, as we left off yesterday, and I'm trying to increase my screen size here so I can. There we go. Pretend like I'm not as blind as I really am. There we go. I got it. So we left off on uh, Romans chapter 11. Uh, we went through 10. And you know what? Today, we might we might just take the next section and go 11 to 24. If not, if we got time, we'll go more. But for now, why don't we tackle this? Sounds um, good to me. All right. So let's kick off. Uh St. Paul begins in verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that I might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save uh, some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but the life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness of the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Provided you continue in this kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to grant them in, graft them in again. For if you were cut, 
from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So this is kind of cool because it shows using some, uh, some common uh, metaphors with grafting and uh, using olive, olive branches. Uh, we see that, you know, so I asked, did they stumble in order? No, we're talking about the Jewish people uh, on there. Asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Here's a funny word. Jealous in Greek is translated as both jealous and zealous. So um, you can you actually make it either way. So if somebody becomes jealous because, hey, those Gentiles are getting in, or if they become zealous for their faith because the Gentiles are being grafted in, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really play much differently, but it's just uh, another way of using that word. Yeah, definitely. And um, what I like here is, and, and what Paul's talking about is is um, the promises were always given to Israel, especially through the Old Covenant. You know, the, the Messiah would come through the line of David to Israel. So that's what Paul is plainly pointing out in, uh, in chapter 11, uh, verse 11 and following here, is that, you know, these promises came to Israel, and now they're going out, you know, amongst the world to the Gentiles, which is the ethnics, right? So, yeah. Well, and that's always, that's, you make a good point um, because uh, saying that it's going to come through Israel, oftentimes Israelites would think, well, if it comes through Israel, it's only for Israel. And so they sometimes tended to be pretty harsh on Gentiles. Well, and this totally destroys once saved, always saves. He's talking about, well, you can be broken off and then grafted in and then broken off and grafted in again. You know, so uh, the whole notion of once saved, always saved, you know, falls apart in this um, text right here. And, and Paul even says, uh, um, cons provided you continue in his kindness. So here's a, a great example that you can abuse grace. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is freedom from sin. Oh, absolutely. Um it points out also, it's a good thing to note when we talk about all the language of grace, it's grace and not race kind of thing. <laughs> so um, a lot of times the Jewish ethnos or the ethnics um, thought, well, because we're Jewish and it comes through us, it's for us. And um, there were a lot of them that really struggled with the idea that, that God is for everybody and not just them. You know what? This ties in with one of our questions. Why don't we try something for the first time and while discussing the scriptures, take on the question of the old covenant laws at the same time because it kind of fits in. Well, that's crazy enough to work. Okay, well, one of the things we have here, and this this isn't terribly complicated, but it's a good question. And when I when I say it's not terribly complicated, I mean... We're staying in consistency with our program's premise that we're here on behalf of Nutrans and people who 
even if you're not a Nuthrin, if you just said, you know, I've always kind of wondered about that. And so this one here, uh, let's see. My, I'm, I'm using the Chromebook today, so I'm going a little bit. Okay, here we go. How does scripture differentiate between the laws like thou shalt not murder and laws about mixing fabric and not boiling young goats in their mother's milk? I understand that to save is not one of the functions of the law, but we claim that there are functions uh, of the law. How do we know which laws are applicable to us? Well, in the as we look at these things, you're going to see laws. Um, when we set them, when when God sets out these laws for Israel, first and foremost. The laws for Israel did one thing that was remarkable for their neighbors is they looked at these guys and said, wow, they have some pretty specific laws. And uh, like, for example, even even honoring your father and mother in other cultures around there, it was not considered wrong to like murder your parents to take their stuff, you know. And so we, even commandments in our culture that we would say, well, duh, well, Believe it or not, in the time of the giving of the commandments, that wasn't the case, even in Egypt. So um, you're going to see laws that are set aside for their moral behavior. Um, you're going to see laws that are uh, ceremonial. Those are kind of interesting laws. And they have their own section, uh, you know, about, about, you know, washing your hands or how long a woman who's... Uh, uh, what she has to do after her menstrual cycle, and this kind of stuff, that um, we're always these ceremonial cleansings. So whenever you see the, the ceremonial laws that have to do with cleansing, or when we get into fabrics, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But remember, all those ceremonial cleansings were a typology, and they were pointing us towards baptism, as St. Paul will tell us in Romans 6. Already did, I mean. <laughs> and um, so all the cleansing ones with water, you're going to see these are typology. So when Christ instituted baptism, it really wasn't a stretch for the Jews to say, oh, well, he's made this holy. Now with the fabrics and the mixing of fabrics. This well, is let, me, let me touch on that real quick, too. Uh, right outside the tent of meeting in the holies of holies, you had the wash basin uh, to wash before you were allowed to enter. So that that uh, was a type for for baptism too. Uh, baptism is the shadow, uh, but that was the type. Um, so yeah, uh, just to, to throw that in there too, you know that that was there. And then what was in the uh, the uh, tent of meeting was the bread of presence, which is a type for the uh, sacrament at the altar mm -hmm. for us today. So um, even uh, even the burnt offerings and things like that. Anything that they were doing in Leviticus 1 that they were accepted to make an atonement for sin, atonement for him, all the blood, all of this is typology. This is, this is not just, oh, in the old days they killed stuff and in the new days we accept Jesus. No, in the old days they had sacrifices. In the New Testament they had the one perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ. So whenever we look at these sacrificial laws and everything, we don't want to, we, we always want to see them as a pointer to reality and Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, a pointer to fulfillment and Jesus Christ is that fulfillment.
Exactly. Yes. And and getting back to uh, Romans 11 here, the Pharisees' problem was, uh, and this is who Paul is talking about here, why they're grafted off. They forgot all about Jesus, you know, and the, the promise through the Messiah. And they thought by their offerings and their fabrics and all the, the ceremonial laws and they thought they were keeping moral law too but they thought they were righteous you know by doing these things and and not by uh christ absolutely yes yes and so um and when you have the um the laws about mixing fabrics and things like that um you see actually um these things are there's something that give the jewish people a sense of being set apart um, anytime you have laws where uh, things are, are set apart and literally made holy in the sense that they're, they're set over here and we don't mix these fabrics, well, that kind of ceremonial law is one that says uh, that they're, being, they're showing that there's a uniqueness about them. And for these people, there's a, there's a, a special emphasis on holiness from what God says is holy and of course, in, he says, you know, I'm, you'll be holy for I am holy and this kind of thing. So even with the fabrics, the, everything that was in God's word in the, they lived it out in every facet of their life. Exactly. And a lot of this was to separate them from their pagan neighbors. Mm -hmm. Now, some people, the listeners might say, well, that just sounds weird to me. I don't get it. Well, consider this. You go to you go tell your neighbor, you know, I'm saved. And they say, well, how? Well, I was washed in the name of God. They're going to think that's nutty. You know, so it's not too far different than today. We have rituals, you know, that God has given us, word and sacrament, you know, that the Old Testament had uh, different rituals which pointed and are fulfilled in Christ. Uh, yes. So we don't. Yeah. So there's a lot of things here. And I think it's really important to point out the level and the extent to which God goes to prepare his people for something good. Um, there's always, I mean, this sense of not eating pork. And in modern day, you're going to see that, well, um, I, uh, it's an unclean animal, shellfish are unclean. And in modern day, they'll go, you know, well, eating pork isn't very good for you. And so... It was a dietary law, and you see that. But the truth of the matter is, once again, animals like like the the pigs and whatnot that were used in pagan cultures for many other things, they just didn't touch them. Now, of course, as we get into the New Testament, you're going to see the vision that Peter received, and the those those dietary laws are lifted. Because, again, your righteousness doesn't come from not eating bacon. Your righteousness comes from Christ. Exactly. And that's exactly what Paul is pulling out here in chapter 11. You know, the Pharisees thought by not eating bacon they were going to heaven. Or their sacrifices or anything else. Nobody, like Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. So mm -hmm. our righteousness is found in Christ. Um, and Christ fulfilled the bacon laws for us so we can have bacon yeah and we can wear different types of thread and and we have all that extra freedom 
because the gospel is brought to the world. It's not just uh, around Israel. Now, anybody could could be a part of this covenant, right? Uh, and they were called the God-fearers. Yeah, and that's actually touched on in this chapter. Um, in the section about broken branches, and um, even this is interesting because if you break an olive branch off and it falls to the ground, um, it's very possible that it'll root. If it hits in the ground, it'll root, and then another olive tree will show up. Well, this isn't really a difficult um, thing that Jesus is explaining here. He's taking us back to the Garden of Eden. He's showing us the different tribes. We can even find ourselves at the Tower of Babel when the languages were separated and the people all separated. And although in this visual he's going to be talking about Israel as being like the main tree, you have all these Gentiles that were the broken branches that fell off. And they're rooted up and they're going, hey, look, there's a tree over there. Hey, look, another olive tree. And to say that, well, I have you know that all of these olive trees are from the same tree. <laughs> <laughs> so when you that's this is how we establish hope for the Gentiles. The Gentiles say, yeah, it's a wild olive shoot in it. Or it can be grafted right back into the tree. And uh, and then they can have hope. And if. And if these trees that were given all this promise that how how much greater is it, you know, that these ones can be grafted in. And so you see a lot of uh, great imagery here, too, especially when you're talking about grafting and uh, being brought in. And, uh, and it's almost like the adoption language that you're going to hear also later. Uh, grafting is like a tree adopting another branch and it. And then it becomes indistinguishable from the other branches eventually. So, yeah, to, to wrap up on the laws real quick, um, those were a means uh, in which God worked, and we have different means today. They're fulfilled in Christ. Um, God was king. I mean, he appointed the kings, but he gave them the direct laws over um, Israel. And so he was uh, the civil ruler, and, you know, today he has police. You know, that's... Yeah, there's still moral law in creation, you know, so so today, you know, we have police and judges and all that stuff uh, for civil law. Ceremonial law is fulfilled in Christ, and only moral law remains because Jesus says the whole law can be summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first and greatest command is you, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And we get that from the Ten Commandments. So only only moral laws mentioned in the New Testament. Yes, um, I did. I uh, I did kind of. You're right. This one did kind of cross over. So I was kind of pinging back and forth between the text and the in uh, the Old Testament law question. Um, but you know, aside from that, you know, you've got you've got the church like the Seventh Day Adventists. And they really put a lot of sweat and worry about this kind of stuff. And really, the, and they think they're being really faithful to the Bible, but what they're missing is a good understanding of who Jesus is, what the move of the Old Testament covenant was pointing towards. And so they, they, they say they love Jesus, and then they have these huge list of burdensome laws that they have to deal with. And, oh, man, it's just, it's just a, a nightmare. Yeah, not only that, you know, the third commandment is not, you know, again, they act just like the Pharisees. They they think they're keeping it by keeping it a day. 
Um, and, and that's not it. You know, we, we understand as Lutherans that the third commandment is to gladly hear and learn God's word. Uh, you know, where they, again, would, would point to a day. They put you back under the old covenant laws. Yeah. So we have we have some freedom in moral law as far as like the third commandment and stuff goes, you know, on which day we're going to worship. Paul says, uh, one, well, we'll get to that in another reading. It's in Romans. But he says, one man thinks one day holier than another. Well, one man thinks every day alike. Let each be convinced in his own mind. So yeah. God is gracious enough to give us freedom, you know, on when we, we want to worship. Right. It wouldn't be like... Uh... Hey, are you worshiping on a Tuesday? Wow, you just really want to burn for all eternity, don't you? <laughs> That's what a Seventh-day Adventist would say. <laughs> Must be nice wanting to go to hell. Well, yeah. I, I usually pull, pull out Colossians, what is it, 2.16 there. Therefore, let no man judge you on food, drink, new moon, festival, and, oh wait, Sabbath. Or Jesus, you know, Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Or how about Hebrews 8.13? And speaking of a new covenant, what does it mean? That, but then he makes the first one obsolete. So uh, as you can tell, I've uh, had headed out with some Seventh-day Adventists before. I can see that. Yeah. So, But yes, you're not justified by the law. Even more law, you are not justified. But we need it to serve its functions. It serves the function of curb, mirror, and guide. And that's good for us because it drives us to grace. Well, that's true also. Yeah. And I'm glad I'm yeah, I'm glad we um, we did talk about that because you don't want to have Lutherans that are going, well, you know, I'm doing a really good job of uh, keeping the Levitical law because I'm a confessional Lutheran. And that's just not really that's just not really what a confessional Lutheran does. So. Nope. Nope. Not at all. The law is supposed to scare you. So if you're like, but I'm terrified of God's law. Well, it's supposed to do that. I mean, that's second use. You know, that's that's the terror. Uh, it could be first. Again, the, the pastor just preaches the law from the pulpit and the spirit uses it in first, second or third function according to, you know, the hearer. Um, that's something that we confess. So we don't get to pick what function we want the law to have on us. And if it terrifies the conscience, that's a good thing. It's just preparing you for Christ. It's making way for repentance. Well, and he certainly... So you to the gospel. He certainly does that quite a bit. So, again, not, not really a super complicated thing for us. Um, so do you want to roll back to Romans and then we'll do that other question? Now that we've yeah, got... I hope, I, did we get it on the law? Did we get all all of it? You know what? I think that so far, if we don't, then we, they should um, they should tell us. You know, they could put it in the questions to say more on it. Sounds good to me, boss. Okay, so um, let's see here. Uh, okay, the next, and it's it's like a whole section. It's not something you would. Uh, you would pick and choose kind of out of, we talk about, we're talking about the branches. Now there's a few things here when we talk about the branches and I, I only talked about one part of it that um, they, then you will say branches were broken out. Oh wait, I went too far. Um, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, meaning the Gentiles were grafted in among the others, 
and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. So you have these Gentiles. Now you're being, you're being, um, you're being uh, grafted in into a group of people that you probably have the reputation of kind of thought of as being less than them. And now that you're being grafted in, what you don't want to do is become arrogant about it. You know, don't go yeah, yeah, yeah to the Jewish people because that that's just as bad. It's like it's like uh, we don't we don't uh, repay evil with evil kind of thing. Yeah, we're pretty guilty of that, aren't we? Become puffed up sometimes, and I am. I'm not going to accuse you. Oh no, uh, you you could. Hey, look at my knowledge. Yeah, so I mean, uh, humility is a good thing to pray for because yeah, you don't want to be casted off. So I'm a uh, I'm a two acre bullseye, and you're holding a cruise missile. I mean, that's that's how hard it is to hit me in the bullseye for being a sinner. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I'm a needle in a haystack, and the haystack is sin. So. Sure. I definitely need Jesus. Well, and the day we don't, that's the problem. That's right. You know, none of this is by the law. None of this is by your works. None of this. It's all about Christ crucified for sinners. So if we're freaking you out, uh, listeners, by talking about laws and moral law and everything else, you know, we, we do the works of the law because the spirit, you know, has enlightened our hearts. He calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church and keeps us with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yep. So this is, uh, I mean, that's pretty much, uh, a big chunk of this section is talking about branches and, uh, but the blessing here, okay, don't forget who supports you and don't forget that that is Christ himself. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Well, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. It isn't double predestination. Now, a lot of times, this is one of the double predestination ones that I've heard about. Somebody saying they were, oh, yeah, they were broken off. And and literally, St. Paul says, well, they're broken off because they are unbelief. Um, that's, yeah, but, but, but wouldn't you have to be actually in to be broken off see that's where the whole once saved always saved double predestination falls apart because these branches are in mm-hmm. and then they're broken off right so right. yeah you would never you would never tell somebody that oh well if uh you were yeah once saved always saved because well if, when they call it when somebody sins in one of those churches and then they say well they were never saved in the first place and so we're yeah. like, no, they can you lose your salvation? Yes. St. Paul even shows us that they're broken up. But also, if you lose your salvation, is it possible to regain it? And the answer is yes. Yes. Look at David. Perfect example. And who restored David? Did David restore himself? No, he confessed to Nathan. And Nathan, That's right. Yep. The Lord had restored David. So, I mm-hmm. mean... Just, just like we're the branches, we're not the vine. We don't feed ourselves the nutrients. That all comes from the vine. We're just branches. Mm-hmm. And you see um, 
in verse 22. Note then the, kind, the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will too be cut off. Now, the we're talking about those who are faithful. Um, and if you're, if you're continuing in his guidance, that means you still have the faith. It's not like, oh, how am I going to make God smile today? It's, it's the statement of, oh, well, in, in faith, that's, that's in being in God's kindness. Yeah, this is not a text to read like, oh, my goodness, I better keep myself in the faith. No, this is a text reading <laughs> you're in the faith. So yeah. don't, don't. Yeah, we want you to exegete the text. It's like a newspaper. It's not a personal letter. OK, it's not. You know, that's how you read scripture, you know, more like a newspaper. So if you if you get a personal letter and it says, hey, you owe one billion dollars, you're going to freak out. But if the newspaper sends out, hey, we owe one billion dollars, mm-hmm. you see, that's kind of how you're reading it. Right. You don't you don't think somebody at the newspaper office has got like, whoa, how did they know kind of thing? <laughs> um, so because it says for if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So, you know, you're, the, the wild root that's grafted in is going from unbelief to belief. And grafting a branch back on that was chopped off is going from belief to unbelief to belief. So... The wild ones were the ones that fell off and they fell away and they're the Gentiles and now they have faith, boing, they go in the tree. But, um, and because, you know, it's funny, they go, it's not natural for a tree branch to break off, fall, and then be somehow graft itself back onto a tree. No, that is another work of God. He does the grafting. We don't do the grafting. That's right, and, and that's a good thing because, I mean, how many of us screw up coffee or car keys? You know what I mean? Uh, you really want to be in charge of your salvation? <laughs> I hope not. I just just really, really hope not. Um, let's see here. Um, now, that's pretty much the whole section on grafting, and I think it ends strongly to say, you know, uh, the ones that fell uh, were, that fell away who can be grafted back into their own olive tree, and that's a good thing. Um, yeah, and a, another important thing to note that I don't think most people realize this is Paul is writing to Christians, okay? So he's not writing to uh, some pagan people somewhere. No, okay? he's not, not trying to convert them. They are converted. Right, so... When, when he talks about severity and grafting and, you know, he's basically informing them of what's happening. So he's not saying this is you guys, you know, because in a few of his letters, he does come out and say, hey, I hear that a man has his, his, his uh, father's wife, you know, and then he condemns them. But why? In right. order that his soul might be saved in the resurrection. Right. So uh needs to be removed from the church for that purpose. So Paul's writing to Christians. It's important to note that. And he's not saying, hey, worry about your salvation. He's just letting them know what's going on. Exactly. He doesn't he doesn't tell a pagan, get it together, man. But 
he will tell a Christian, get it together, man. Because a Christian. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And that's, there's a very important distinction there that, that has to be made uh, because the Christian uh, does need to be told to get it together or repent, in other words, while the, the pagan, you know, they're not Christian. So it's not, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, what do I have to do with judging the outside of the church? It's those inside who are to be judged. So uh, when your pastor says, hey, get it together, man, you know, he's just doing the work he was called to do. And it's a it's a good thing. It's for your soul. So and he's saying, you know, you are a Christian and and he's when get it together. I need to be clarifying on this. And I think you already said it, but that means repent, get it together. You've done something wrong. You're sitting repent of this. So I, I mean, I was being a little glib about it, but the truth is, is by saying "get it together," it is repent of this, Christian. You've done something wrong. Yeah, but I understood you right away. I knew you were going. Right I know, to but the drama—you got to keep the drama down to a low roar, because now, yeah, just in case there's the one hater out there, we got to make it real clear. So, well, when we our 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 Facebook group is like over a thousand people now, and so a thousand people who, by the way, I give them big props because this is some of the best, uh, most mature people that we're seeing they they have uh they have a real sense of wanting to be here and there has been a little bit of drama lately but the truth of the matter is at a thousand and nine members it's a very little bit of drama so definitely I, definitely and, and thanks be to god that we're able to have these kinds of discussions you know that and think about Luther's day, you know, if you wanted to know something, you know, books were hardly available. So, I mean, you had to seek out a father confessor and, um, you know, really just ask them and rely on it. You know, today we have this, this information at the touch of a button, you know, so it's great. So, uh, definitely it's a blessing to, to have that and to have a, a drama free group where we're able to discuss good theology without, Semper Virgo or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, now, as we get in, uh, I'm looking up here. Uh, I'm looking up some here, but um, okay, I'm back. When we when we are looking at the next section, we did kind of rip through that. We can. We do have time to go through uh, the remainder of just twenty five to thirty something. Um, if you want. Do you want to do that or do you want to take the other question? Oh, we could take the other question because the whole next section, I guarantee we could do uh, we could do a, another podcast on that. So the last question here, uh, I'm trying to, what do, would you read it? Yes, I can read it. All right, so. Discuss the occurrence in America and perhaps elsewhere where parents and their children often attend churches or different denominations of faith traditions or whatever it is called these days. Sometimes dad, if he goes, goes to one place, mom goes to another place and the, and the kids still yet uh, other places. Okay, now 
we got to understand, Zach and I talked about this. He has a one-word answer. I've got a multiple-word answer. <laughs> but, we'll, we'll let you run first because you're more uh, classy. <laughs> and uh, we'll just, I'll just leave it there. Okay, well, um, in... If I'm if I'm not going to be plucking at uh, just motivation, um, there was a huge movement in the 40s and 50s, and it was done by Billy Graham, and he had this thing that, it, and it said he would say, "It doesn't matter where you go to church as long as you go to church." Now. In America, we love that statement. We're just like, yeah, I'm just glad. Are you a church-going Christian? Are you a Bible-believing Christian? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that is not the history of America. Christianity in America has been always a confession-based uh, theology to say that, well, that guy's a Catholic, or that guy's a Lutheran, or that guy's a Methodist. And, and they don't just say that because they look like a Methodist. It's because they go, and Methodists believe this, and we don't believe that, or Catholics believe this, or Lutherans believe this, and we don't believe that. And so um, instead of it being about that, they'll go to a church that makes them, ah, well, Dad likes a confessional church, and, well, Mom likes the lower liturgy of the Presbyterian church, but likes their high view of the Bible, and uh, Jimmy... Uh, ever since he went to college, he really likes the the sort of rock band kind of church because it's fun and it's a cool place to hang out with people, this kind of stuff. And church is no longer a place of confession, but it's more of a place of just options. And that really isn't a healthy view of the Christian church. No, I, I totally agree with you. Um... And I also hate the argument uh, when someone says, I'm non-denominational. I actually ran into somebody Saturday who said that, and I said, want to bet? You know, because <laughs> let me ask you about 10 questions here, and I'll place you in one. So, I mean, the, the whole I'm a non-denominational, just Christian. Uh, let's see what you believe about baptism, the sacrament, the preached word, the infallibility of Scripture. Uh, sanctification, justification, law and gospel distinction. You know, once they start answering these questions, these dogmas, which we hold near and dear, uh, they'll be placed in a denomination. I mean, what do you do? Um, that's that's hard. If you're the man, you're the spiritual head. So you have the duty to uh, kind of get your family in order, especially the kids. You know, if your wife's lagging behind, it's not like you can uh, force somebody into it. But, I mean, you do have a, more of a foot down as the head of your home. You should be definitely taking your children. Um, and then if you're a woman, uh, kind of, you know, trying to be a confessional Lutheran, you know, and your husband's dead set against it, uh, the odds are really stacked against you, but, you know, you have to obey the first uh, three commandments before you obey uh, man. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to be said about that. And and it puts a pressure on men that um, historically has been there. But in modern history, there's, there's a real attempt uh, to create men who can't even handle any kind of pressure and that they're sort of man boys 
and they play with video games until they're in their 30s and, you know, whatever, 40s or that's all they want to do. And so now if you tell them, you know what, you're the head of the house and um, you've got to make these decisions and you hopefully you try to raise your kids to say, well, I want to make sure that when I marry somebody that I love them and that we are in confessional agreement religiously. It's you know that's an excellent point. My kids, uh, my son is seven and my daughter's ten, and they already know uh, when that time comes because we've talked about it since a young age. So so other parents listen up because this has worked for me. I mean, it's working for seven and ten. They know when that time comes, you know, to to court, to date, or whatever. Um, the person's either got to be a confessional Lutheran or willing to convert. You know, mm-hmm. we, we don't want to just say, hey, you're not denying, get out of here. But it's like, okay, you know, come to our church for a while and, and you know, let's, let's lay the cards on the table, talk with them, love them. And uh, if they're willing to convert, then they have my blessing. If not, you know, again, the first three commands come before anything else. You know, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. It's a pretty uh, straightforward command. And that means, you know, denying the sacraments. Right. Uh, and um, what you're doing, uh, I like, for example, uh, I was at the Northwest District convention uh this last week and i i went with uh my one of my lay delegates and we were talking to this guy and um he's a he's a licensed lay deacon and uh and he was coming over to me and a a friend of mine he's a pastor in alaska he's amazing and and this is after we were visiting with president harrison and vice president Murray and other guys, and they just kind of went out their way, and it was just me and this pastor. So this guy works his way over to us, and he starts to talk to us, and he's, he was waiting to have this conversation with us. And and for in a nutshell, he said, well, can I tell you something? You know, I've had two Seminex pastors, and my friend Gary and I are like grown. And, um, and he was finally, he worked his way around to saying, you know, you know what I really don't like about those black shirts? And he's referring to pastors that wear clerical collars. And I said, I'm one of them. Go ahead. And uh, <laughs> tell me. <laughs> and he starts to go off about, okay, let me tell you. Let me go back into my history. And this is where it gets relevant. Well, when my wife and I got married and started having kids, well, she grew up Presbyterian and I grew up Lutheran. And, uh, and I go, and wait, let me stop you there. And you never thought to have this discussion with her before you had babies. And he's like, well, yeah. And I said, and, and, and you came to your LCMS church and got mad because they wouldn't give her communion. Right. 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 Cause we're, yeah. Well, your poor planning in catechesis is not an emergency or me being unloving. It's to say that, you know, if you wanted to, if you the LCMS means so much to you, then you would be saying, well, even if she's not LCMS, I want her to talk to my pastor, you know, or something like that. So that's kind of where that comes from. And, uh, of course, he had a lot to say about uh, open communion and everything. But 
I said, you know, what it sounds to me like is you made some some poor choices and you're blaming it on a pastor who's keeping consistent with 2,000 years of practice. Yeah, you know, it's really sad because when you when you start to meditate on the law, I can't imagine not studying the scriptures or the theologians, you know. Um, I can't imagine putting worldly things in front of, you know what I mean? In, in front of that, it's, or, I mean, how, it's like you said, you didn't think to have that conversation before you had kids. Because, I mean, for the folks out there that don't know, a, a Presbyterian is, is basically, you know, Calvinist in leaning. It's, it's hard to say because every... Uh, body is different, right? You can have three, four, five-point Calvinists. Um, but, you know, it's a totally different view. They claim monergism, but I would say they're more synergistic by uh, they, they focus really hard on, on works because they've gotten rid of the sacraments. And, you know, uh, we, we just sit back as Lutherans and, and we participate in word and sacrament and we just let the works flow. It's not like we're keeping score. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really really hard. It's a hard it's a hard question. If you're a man, get your family in order. That's your duty. I mean, and this is not me being mean or unloving. This is me telling you, you know, what God says. Get your family in order. Uh, you're the head. You're the head of the home. It may take time. I'm not saying do it right now. Make it happen tomorrow. You know, start working at it. And, and get them in a confessional church. Get them in the best church that you can, and, and then teach them also. It's your duty. It's not uh, the pastor's job to teach your kids. It's your job. Um, and then if you're a woman, hang in there. Pray hard, you know. Still go to a confessional church because the first three commandments are there first. Um, it's going to be a lot harder with the children and stuff like that. And I would say go go talk to your pastor because it's not my place to uh, give the advice there. I would say go talk to the pastor at the church you're attending, the Lutheran church you're attending, and, and listen to what he's got to say. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what it boils down to is, uh, um, you know, if you had a Seminex pastor who, by the way, that didn't represent a large number of pastors in the LCMS, and you had two of them, then it's going to seem normal to you that if you're having open communion. But um, the truth of the matter is, is that represents just a, that represents a fraction. And so, but that's the normal for you. But that isn't the normal for the church. No, and you know what, senior, uh, a shout out to uh, if, if my uh, pastor, my, my retired pastor, ever listens to the podcast, a, a shout out to Pastor Philip Cordokis, who was in the Seminex uh, time, and he did not walk out with his friends. The, the verse that kept him was the verse in Ephesians, where it said, and God has equipped the prophets, evangelists, teachers, preachers, etc. He said that's the verse that made him stay. And he was one of the most confessional, orthodox, down-to-earth guys that there is out there. So, um, again, we're, we're all trusting the Spirit. I'm sure in that moment it was really, really hard for him back when Seminex happened and all his friends were leaving. Uh, but the Holy Spirit, God, is, God gave him the strength, you know, to, to stay. And uh, 
he waged the good warfare and he just retired in January. So, yeah, well, that's all you can pray for, right? Is to, in the face of trouble, not to rely on myself, but rely on what is true and on the Holy Spirit who gives me faith. And uh, though I die, I'll live. <laughs> that's so. just it there, too. A lot of this is beyond our understanding. I mean, we can understand it to a point. But, you know, it's not like there's extra scriptures written in the back of the Bible for me to check out, you know, what's happening today, tomorrow, and next week. Uh, Jesus is returning. That's, you know, when? I don't know. But, you know, there's not uh, extra revelation. So lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God and he will make your path straight, you know. That, that's basically where we're at with this stuff is there's no clean cut answer. Life is messy because life is filled with sin and sinners. So, you know, it, it, some of this stuff gets hard, you know, because it's like there might be a clean cut answer for this family. But, you know, this one's different. You know what I mean? I do. And actually, I think on that note, uh, I think that's where we're at. We're, we're going to. We're going to have to call it quits here. Um, I will say, though, I want to say one more thing. Uh, again, I I am thankful for everybody who sent me not only cards and letters and just a truckload of people on Sunday who posted uh, nice things to my wall for the 10th anniversary of ordination I had, uh, 10 years of Word and Sacrament ministry, uh, I just wanted to say thank you to all those people, and it's awesome to be back to podcasting. So I'm going to be off the rest of this week. So uh, um, why don't you take us out, Zach? Uh, I hope everybody has a blessed week, and I know we went a little wild here, there, and everywhere, but hey, that's how we push leaguers roll. So God bless uh, your work this week, and um, I'll see you at the altar on Sunday. <laughs>